Should global warming change how we live? It's a question we get on occasion, and this time from a podcast listener named Timothy. A question for Pastor John, who joins us again over Skype. Hello, Pastor John. In a day and age where we are bombarded with strong environmentalism and save the earth propaganda and green ideas, what should be the proper response of a Christian to all these pressures? Should we assume that climate change is caused by humans? How do we find a proper balance in ecological concerns when we are faced by so many things that seem like extremes, eliminating plastic straws, demonizing fossil fuels, and the rise of couples who refuse to have children because of the, quote, impact on the environment, end quote. It feels like the culture really is worshiping the creation instead of trusting the creator. So how should a follower of Jesus care for a creation that will one day be destroyed by fire? Pastor John, what would you say to Timothy? Let me start by saying, and I hope I don't disappoint too many folks here. (laughs) I don't know the answer to the question, is global warming mainly or only caused by human behaviors Mm -hmm. like the use of fossil fuels. So answering that specific question is not what this episode of Ask Pastor John is about. I wish I knew more and had greater wisdom on that. But given my limitations in what I can attend to and study and get clarity on, uh, I don't. And, And you'll need to do your own work to get what I can't provide. The reason I'm willing to say anything at all in response to this question is because it does raise issues that I think the Bible is clear about and which importantly affect the way we should live. For example, there really is a danger, a spiritual danger, on the one hand of elevating creation more highly than we should. And on the other hand, there really is a danger of being so opposed to environmentalist excesses that we're unwilling to affirm or encourage anything, any kind of creation care, lest we sound like tree huggers. And we, of course, don't like tree huggers, and therefore we don't say anything. I think that's a huge danger. That That last point, let me just linger on that for just a moment. It cuts both ways in a culture like ours, where our decisions about what we will say, what we will do, is based so much in our culture on which groups will approve of us if we talk a certain way, rather than being based on what is really true and good, regardless of what people think or say about us. So people on the right and on the left are often afraid of taking a position for fear of appearing defective to the group they desperately want to please. The Bible calls them people pleasers, Ephesians 6, 6, and says that those who have Christ as their true master won't crave that kind of approval or fear disapproval from mere man. What can man do to you? So my point is, we should decide what kind of creation care is fitting for a Christian, quite apart from who calls us a tree hugger or who calls us an ice cap melter. It doesn't matter what people call us. What matters is truth. 
and taking the right, courageous, clear stand. So Timothy asks, how should a follower of Jesus care for a creation that will one day be destroyed by fire? And I think the answer that I would give is this. The same way we should take care of our bodies, even though they are going to rot in the grave. That's my answer. Hmm. The body will be raised from the dead, and the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption, Romans 8.21. Neither the eventual dissolution of the body or the eventual dissolution of the earth makes either of them worthless now. It, it does keep us, and this was his point, and it's a good one, it does keep us from deifying them, making them God. Neither the body nor the earth is God, though some people treat them as if they were, bodies and earth. They will both die, but both are precious gifts of God now. The reason they're precious is that both the body and the earth are meant to serve the fullness of Christ-exalting, God-glorifying life. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And then in, in Romans 12, 1, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And, and then again, in Philippians 1, 20, he says, it is my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's what the body is for. It is an instrument for glorifying God, magnifying Christ, honoring the indwelling Holy Spirit. So I'm arguing that your body is your little earth. Let, let that sink in. I'm arguing that your body is your near little earth, your nearest earth. It's not your soul. Your body's not your soul. Jesus made a distinction. Paul made a distinction. Paul calls it your tent. It is the way your soul puts its decisions and its loves and its desires into action, right? Our body acts what our heart desires. And it is, it is one of the ways that God's goodness, your body is one of the ways that God's goodness is experienced in the pleasures he gives. Hmm. For example, 1 Timothy 6.17, don't set your hope on uncertain riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And a lot of that enjoyment comes through the five senses of the body. So we receive gifts of beauty and goodness and pleasure through the eyes and ears and nose and skin and tongue of the body. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 
God created these pleasures to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So the body is the portal of God's goodness through physical pleasure. And then it's turned around. And the body becomes the means of thankful worship and faithful obedience. The body receives and reflects the glory of God. We use the body to put the obedience of of our hearts into visible action. That's what Paul says when he makes the members of our body instruments of righteousness in Romans 6.13. Our body are instruments of our heart's righteousness. Now, in the same way, not only is your body, your little earth, your little world, where you receive good from God and reflect his goodness in the acts of bodily obedience, so also is the earth your bigger body. So you see the shift I'm making now. The body is your little earth and the earth is your bigger body. Just like Paul said, we are to master our body and bring it into subjection, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, and make it the servant of righteousness, Romans 6, 13. So we have been given a mandate as God's highest earthly creatures to subdue the earth, just like we subdue our bodies and make them instruments of righteousness. We subdue the earth, take dominion over it, and make it serve righteousness and justice. Psalm 8, 6, you have given man dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Same thing in Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over all the earth. So the care of our bodies and the care of the earth are not driven by the worship of the body or the worship of the earth. That care is driven by a divine calling to make our body, our little earth, and to make our earth, our bigger body, to make them both a means of glorifying God. That's why we have a body. That's why we have an earth. By receiving pleasures through them, body and earth, we respond with thankfulness to God, and we respond by making both of them instruments of Christ-exalting righteousness. Thank you, Pastor John, uh, for making that body earth connection. That's very helpful. And thank you for listening to the podcast today. And of course, thank you for supporting DesiringGod.org in this podcast. Ask Pastor John, even with all the disruptions in this crazy year, ministry has been full throttle for us in 2020. In fact, it feels like the Lord has given us even more work to do this year in addressing the pandemic and particularly with the international launch of Pastor John's new book, coronavirus and Christ. We're investing tens of thousands of dollars to get that timely book translated and distributed around the world, working to make it available free of charge in 29 different languages and possibly even more. And all of this at a time when so many organizations are now forced to cut staff and slash budgets. Instead, we are actually spending more money than ever to freely give away the best news in the world. 
And of course, all of our ministry, the website, the books from Pastor John, and this podcast, all of it is possible because God continues to raise up generous ministry partners around us, people who regularly pray for us and who donate to support all of our work. If that's you, thank you for your partnership. We cannot do it without you. And if this is not you, maybe you've been a listener to the podcast or a reader of the website for a while or or downloaded free books by Pastor John or watched our YouTube videos. Maybe you've been blessed by all the content that our partners have made free of charge to you in the past. And now maybe you want to become someone who will now make those resources available to a new generation who will experience all of Pastor John and desiring God's content free of charge. If that's you, now is a great time to join us as our fiscal year ends in June and our new fiscal year begins in July. And we dream about all the new resources we want to make in the year ahead and the new audiences we want to reach in the year ahead. Join us today by going online to desiringgod.org forward slash donate. That's desiringgod.org forward slash donate. Thank you for supporting us. I'm Tony Ranke. We will see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend and we'll see you then.